Welcome to the Pacific Keep Church Podcast. We believe everyone has a place in God's story. On this podcast, you will hear sermons, interviews, and other content from our pastors and community leaders at our church in Spokane, Washington. If you are blessed by this podcast and want to learn more about us, you can visit us on our website at pacifickeep.com. Additionally, if you want to support our work financially, you can give at pacifickeep.com forward slash give. Without further ado, here is this week's content. Good morning. Dobre utra. At the Perez Zizni, it's my first time in my life I wore flip flops to church. Perez Zizni, I did with the sandaliki of Tekov. I'm a Baptist, I'm always in tuflech. No, today I did flip flops. The reason I put flip flops on, I'm a good Baptist, I'm always in dress shoes. Uh, is because people got baptized, and I thought it would be a bad idea to put my nice dress shoes from New York City into the water. So is it cool that I wore these? Here's J- Jesus wore sandals. Thank you, Mom. Uh, here's my desire. I hope I have to wear these a lot more. Amen. Я надеюсь, что мне придется эти пантоножки очень часто в церковь одевать, потому что у нас просто будет такая линия в очередь в крещение. Аминь. Это моя молитва. Аминь. Тоже молитесь за меня, и чтобы Бог меня простил за такое одеяние в Дом Божий. Окей. И в шортах тоже. Но смотрите, друзья, слава Богу, что люди каются и хотят иметь жизнь с Богом. Аминь. В нашем мире этого не хватает. So, today, if you speak Russian only, the translation device is going. I just wanted to congratulate all the people who got baptized. Let's give them a round of applause. Поздравляем. Congratulations. This is a really important day. It's actually more important than birthday, even an anniversary. It is the day that you were, in a way, um, brought into the family of God officially. I mean, officially you were done or brought into the family of God when the Holy Spirit touched you. But this is an external uh, proclamation to the world, to your friends and family of what's happened inside. And as you start or continue your journey, the big question for you today is, what's next? What happens after baptism? I've been changed. I feel empowered. Some of you told me this morning that you felt a little nervous, which is good. But the spiritual world has seen you made this commitment to Christ. And now the question is, well, how do I continue in this strength of spirit? Как я буду продолжать в этом духе силы продолжать жизнь? Because... We all know, friends who've been baptized, that the enemy doesn't sleep. We get attacked. And the message that I have today is how do you remain strong in Jesus moving forward? Here's the reality. Regardless of whether you just got baptized today, or if you've been baptized for one year, two years, 10 years, 20 years, today is a reminder to you who've been baptized of your vows to Jesus just like when you go to a wedding, you know, sometimes you see and you're reminded of your own vows if you're married. Baptism for the rest of us reminds us of when we made that choice to follow Jesus. And I want to encourage you today, if you feel like after your baptism, maybe you've waned a little bit in your faith. Maybe you are a little bit weak. You haven't been following Jesus as closely as you would have liked. And the lie of the enemy is always, you're not good enough you're not strong enough. You failed too many times. God doesn't want you back. The good news of the gospel is that we are not saved by works. We're saved by faith. 
And the best thing to do is if you feel a little off with your walk with God is just to return without shame or guilt, but with the blessing and with the worship that Jesus is always ready to take you to the next step. In the words of the late now Tim Keller, who is a great theologian who passed away three weeks ago or so, he says this, quote, It is not the strength of your faith, but the object of your faith that actually saves you. По-русски, не на самом деле вас спасает не сила вашей веры, а объект вашей веры. Even if you have a little bit of faith in a powerful Jesus, that's enough. And if you have a lot of faith in something other than Jesus, it will fail every time. Might take some time. So I want to encourage you, whether you've been baptized today or it's been a while, and you've flipped up, you've fallen, you've done something, and you're like, oh, I'm not sure if that's in accordance with God, run back to God quicker. Don't wait. During the Last Supper, Jesus is about to go to do the greatest thing, right? To die on the cross. There is going to be a period of testing. And he knew that his disciples would actually feel very weak spiritually. And they would feel like failures. How many of you have ever felt like a failure or somebody who's weak when it comes to your walk with Jesus? Anybody ever feel that? Jesus knew that Peter was going to deny him three times as he was giving him the bread at the Last Supper. He knew in a very short time, in a few hours, they would be in the garden and all of the disciples would flee as soldiers came with swords and spears. He knew that even after his death and ascension into heaven for 50 days, the disciples would sit and they would wonder, what is going on? What do you do? When the most powerful man in the history of the world is resurrected from the dead and you're excited and then he vanishes. What next? How do we continue in our faith? We are mortal human beings. Yes, we're praying like he told us, but he reminded them that just wait until the Holy Spirit comes. And Jesus told them in Acts 1, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit. If you don't know what to do in your next step with Jesus, the answer is always wait and ask. Wait and pray. Wait and see what the Holy Spirit tells you. Don't sit there without Asking, ask him, but in the asking, just be reminded, God promises those who ask for the Holy Spirit, he will provide. And so before the disciples, the friends of Jesus, go through this season of betrayal and running away from God, he gives them this word. So later they would be reminded that it's all about him, not about their strength, but who he is, not who they are. What he has done, not what they will do or fail to do. What he has accomplished on the cross, not what we can accomplish with our own works. Amen. This is the gospel. It's not about you. Amen. Isn't that awesome? It's not about us. That we don't have to make it based on our record. Amen. Fantastic. I wouldn't want to go up against the Holy God with my record. So here's what Jesus says. And I'll preface it. When you go through trials and tribulations, when you feel like your faith isn't strong enough, just be reminded about these facts. John 15, 1. I am the true vine. I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. 
Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Originally, if you look at the Old Testament, the vine that was supposed to produce fruit for God was the nation of Israel. In fact, that's what God says. He says, I took you out of Egypt, planted you, and all the nations around you are doing all of these despicable things, idolatry, sexual immorality. They're doing all these things, but you're going to be different. Read this in Psalms 80, verses 8. You transplanted a vine from Egypt. That's Israel. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and you took root and it took root and filled the land. The nation of Israel was supposed to be a different type of vine that rejected idolatry, that rejected evil, accepted good, and did justice, and did good that nobody around them did to be a witness that God is powerful. Over thousands or hundreds of years, the project failed, though. God looked at his vine, and he realized that something bad was happening. It's like our works when we try to get saved. It's a bunch of rotten fruit. Amen? Jeremiah 2.21, God, looking at his vine, says, I planted a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? So the nation tried and failed. And so through God's mercy, he sends Jesus and Jesus shows up and he says, I am the true vine. Not Israel. I am the true vine that was Israel that should have been connected to the father failed by I 100% did not fail. I did the will of my father. I was 100% tempted like the rest of you in the flesh, but I did not fail. So if you put your faith in me because I'm connected to the father, I am the vine, you will be connected to me. And even if you have some bad branches of sin and baggage and patterns, if you stay connected in me, God will see you through the vine of Jesus, not through just you and your works. So you're already holy. So any struggle, any any hardship, any loss, any test in your life is all but a process by which God, through Jesus the vine, is preparing you for holiness. That's why the scriptures say, blessed or be cheerful, right, in James 1, when you face all sorts of trials. Why? Because you are being interacted with through the vine of Jesus, and any hardship is actually a pruning of dead, bad branches that you don't even need in your life. The Western worldview says, anything bad that happens to me, I need a fix before I can go attain my dreams. Cancer, bankruptcy, bad relationship, a failure in sin. Until I fix myself, I can't pursue myself. And Jesus says, through trials and tribulation, the Father is pruning bad branches so in the hardship you can grow. Nothing is wasted in God's economy. Nothing. Not even our failures. This is what it means to be connected to the wine, the vine or wine. Jesus continues in John 15, 5. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. In Romans eleven seventeen, Paul says this. Some of the branches were broken off. That means Israel because they failed their task. And although you, a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. Translation, God took you, took me. Some of us are one little branch. Some of us are a big branch with many side branches. And he grafted us into Jesus Christ, his son. So what happens when you get grafted into the nourishment of Jesus? God comes along, he calls him the vine dresser, and he says, look, I'm so happy you're part of my family. We are so happy that you're part of the family of God. It's God's work. But I just want to prepare you for what's next, because now that you're plugged into the vine, the Father, he has one goal for you, is for you to bear much fruit. For you to bear fruit that is good, that blesses other people around you. And so what God does is he starts to take things away from us. He looks at our wild branches and he says, over here, you still have some idolatry. Over here, you still have a love of people or power or status. And as I'm welcoming you, you are my son and daughter. I'm also bringing out the shears, the scissors, the fun stuff, right? And he says, okay, this plant over here, nope. And here's the reality, church. This process can be painful. And sometimes, uh, as children, I have certainly revolted against God. How many of you have ever revolted of God's pruning? Anybody? <laughs> and, you know, what does he do eventually? He says, okay, I'll let you, I'll let you revolt. But snip, <laughs> we're still going to prune. Because I love you too much to allow that thing to destroy you and destroy your relationship with me. Sometimes we say, Lord, why did I lose that job? Why do I feel uncomfortable? Why am I going through pain? He does it because he loves us. And sometimes he does it because he wants us to be who we truly are in him. So here's the question. How does God prune? Uh, I'll get very practical on you. For me in my life personally, the way I've noticed God pruning is something that I used to have an interest for. All of a sudden I lose interest in. Have you ever had that in your life? Something that used to be your hobby, your thing, you loved it. And then all of a sudden, you don't like it anymore. I've had that. I've had that with video games, movies. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love a good show and a good drama, but it used to consume my life. And then all of a sudden, one day I woke up and it wasn't interesting anymore. And then I thought, well, I'm going to go back and keep trying to eat or drink from this fountain because nostalgically, I remember how good it was and it's still not good. All of a sudden, I'm like, fine, God, I give up, you know, <laughs> I don't need all this in my life. You will lose interest for stuff. And when you lose interest for stuff that used to satisfy you, ask yourself this question, what is God pruning? Everybody can fill in the blank of what God does in your life where you lose interest in something. Um, there are five reasons why God prunes us. And we're going to go through those pretty quickly because we have communion today. And my sermon is really short. Uh, so number one, the reason God prunes us, things from our lives when we become in him, is he wants us to bear much fruit. Here's the reality. Satan will have you believe that you have no fruit-bearing abilities, that there's nothing you can offer for God, that you're too sinful, that you're too corrupt, and God is saying, no, when I give you my spirit, I am going to give you spiritual gifts. And in Ephesians, we read, he prepared good works for us before the creation of time. Actually, God believes in your fruit-bearing abilities much more than you believe in your fruit-bearing abilities. 
I have this giant, giant plant in my yard. I forget what it's called. It grows flowers, magnolias or something like that. Julia, what are they called? You know, magnolias, yes. And this, this branch had, it was almost dead. I couldn't believe, like I came out there and it was like intertwined. You know, like when you get a yarn ball and it all gets tangled up, all the branches were tangled up. Half of them were dead. All of the flowers were kind of half dead. And literally my thought was like, I'm going to cut the whole thing down. It's too corrupt. I can't fix it. Uh, I was going to dig, but then my neighbor said, hey, there's a gas line right below it. And last time we tried to dig around that area, we hit the gas line and the Vista came out and almost arrested me. Um, yeah. So I'm like, well, I can't, I can't dig for it because and, and, I'll hit a gas line and I'm too lazy to cut it down because I don't know how to cut trees. I didn't go to school for tree cutting. Uh, so I called this guy who, who's like an arbor, or what are they called? He cuts trees for a living, a tree cutter guy. Um, anyway, he comes out and I said, look, if there's any way you can save this thing and make it look pretty, I don't know how, if anything, just chop it down. You can't dig and put some of that root killer. So he does his thing. I come home from work, you know, prepping sermons for y'all. And I get home, I walk out there and the way he cut this thing was insane. Like I was shocked of how beautiful this plant was. He got down to the root. He found all the dead branches. He cut all the dead ones or the ones that weren't producing enough fruit out. And he left just a few, and it actually looked symmetrical. And all of a sudden, a week later, all the magnolias came out. And it's one of the coolest looking trees we have right now. He cut off all the stuff that looked good, but he knew would not produce good fruit. He didn't just cut the dead branches. He cut the semi-alive branches that he knew would not produce the beauty, the potential of this tree. And a few hundred dollars later, in paying in my wallet, we have a beautiful magnolia tree. Here's a spiritual secret. God doesn't just cut dead branches from our lives, like obvious things like sin and addictions and stuff like that. Sometimes, and this is where it hurts, he cuts things that are semi-alive that take away from our purpose. Sometimes he cuts things that are semi-alive that actually take away energy from our ultimate purpose. So be ready for that. Have a good community around you that will help you identify those semi-alive things that will bear no fruit. And let your brothers and sisters in the Holy Spirit help you in that process. Number two, the reason he prunes us is so we become more dependent on him. Church, let's be honest. We live in an independent culture where we worship ourselves. I can do everything with my own strength. Well, sometimes when God takes things away, we rely more on him. Dependency on him equals holiness for us. Number three, when he prunes us, he leads us to a deeper prayer life. Because we are more dependent on him, we start to realize that we can't be holy and we can't do it on our own and that we need him in our life. And then our prayer lives actually change. James 4 says that when you ask, sometimes you don't receive. And I don't have a Bible verse for the screen on this. He says this, because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. And then he says, God gave us more grace. And so he takes that away. So we start praying differently. Here's another dirty little secret. Sometimes we come with our dead branches of addiction and sin and our own sort of identity. And God is like, we're going to cut that off. And our prayer is like, no, Lord, give me life in that dead branch. 
No, Lord, affirm me. I want the power of Jesus to give life to this dead branch. I like it too much. True? Lord, don't take this away from me. Bless this. And we have a whole new school of theology in our culture where we are proud of our dead branches and we have now transformed Jesus into this sort of sidekick who blesses our desires. And what he is saying, God opposes the proud and gives grace to those who are humble. God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humility means, Lord, anything is up for grabs. Anything in my life is yours. And it's hard. I had an honest conversation with somebody recently when we kind of dissected the fact that every branch of your life can be decided by God, whether to cut it or keep it. Somebody said, man, that's hard. It is hard. But I would rather us be honest as people who follow Jesus that we love some of our dead branches and we want some of that power from God to bless our stuff. True? We want God to bless our stuff. And God wants to prune our branch sometimes so we would bear much fruit for his kingdom. Pick your thing. We all have asked God to bless our branches that come from our flesh. Politics, idolatry, sexuality, wealth, dreams and ambitions. We all do that. And God still loves us. But as a church, I pray that we allow God to prune us. Because the fourth reason why he prunes us is he brings glory to himself. He brings glory to himself. When we start to allow God to prune us, your neighbors are going to ask, what's wrong with you? Why are you different? Why are you gracious? Why is there change in your life? I see the evidence and this brings glory to God and we invite others into the kingdom of God because of that. The reality is sometimes the process is painful, but the process always brings glory to God. So uh, new baptism candidates, congratulations. You have been grafted into the glory of God. Get ready for some painful moments, but also be reminded that in the process, God is working on you. And he's trying to make you fruitful. Me and my daughter are going through this right now. We're explaining the Bible, and <clears throat> I can see some pruning in her heart even at seven. The other day, it was interesting. I said, Grace, we've been reading Matthew chapter five, um, and we read about the hypocrites who love to pray openly and loudly. Grace, can you please tell me what a hypocrite is? She says, Daddy, a hypocrite is somebody who says, don't eat ice cream. But then when everybody goes to bed, he eats all the ice cream. That's you. I was going through Winko yesterday. They have the best prices on ice cream, by the way. And I like, I reached out my hand and the spirit was like, no. We're going to prune that branch and prune your belly. <laughs> it was painful. <laughs> and maybe it's a silly example. It is a silly, but it is a true one. My daughter even noticed. You say to eat healthy, but every time I go to bed, and I don't eat ice cream from a bowl. I eat it from the thing. It's the only way to do it. So where is God pruning? Silly ice cream cravings? Maybe it's something else. Thank you for listening to the Pacific Keep Church podcast. If you've been blessed by our ministry, you can learn more, follow along, or give at pacifickeep.com. Go with grace and peace.